Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jack Grover. He is co-founder and chief executive of Grove Bags. We're going to talk to him a little bit about an area of cannabis that I think a lot of people don't think about, <laughs> or at least it isn't as uh, thought about in general when we talk about the business of cannabis, which are the little things that really kind of make a difference in terms of how we produce product, how we transport product, how we really get high quality product onto the shelves. In this case, we're going to talk about bags. We're going to talk about the things that go into packaging and how do we maintain the quality of product as it moves through the production process and supply chain. And I'm excited about this. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by all the little businesses, well, some not so little, but all the little niche businesses inside cannabis that are there because it is a very rich, multifaceted industry. So with that, Jack, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Bruce. Great to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Let's talk a little bit about background first, then we'll get into what you're doing 
drinking cannabis. Give us, a, you know, just kind of professional background. Like, what was your training, education, and then how did you get into cannabis? Tell us the story. Gotcha. So, um, my uh, kind of entrepreneurial journey started uh, in college. I was lucky enough to somehow get into and uh, attend Babson College in, in Wellesley, Massachusetts, which is yep. the school for entrepreneurship. So, I was very fortunate to go there and really got well trained. And then after I graduated, started my career off in the financial world and made my way over to tech and tech sales and development um, and spent the first few years of my career there. And then about late 2015, had the idea to launch a cannabis packaging company. And that really came about in two ways. One is I had been out to Colorado and I looked at the industry and I was you know, I thought it was a force of nature and the genie wasn't going back in the bottle, so to speak. And I thought to really elevate the industry and to have it accelerate into broader acceptance, it would need to be able to operate like a mature CPG industry. Because at that point, I noticed everything in cannabis was a lot of repackaged, repurposed, reused product from the food or medical industry. And a lot of it was just not appropriate for cannabis. It didn't account for the physiology or the chemical nature of the product. It didn't account for its need to keep it fresh, to keep it potent. So there was a lot of improper packaging out there that I thought was really degrading the product and degrading what cultivators had intended to deliver. But to be honest with you, I actually grew up pretty anti-cannabis, you know, mm, growing up yeah. as a high school wrestler and drinking the anti-cannabis Kool-Aid in Ohio, it wasn't until my older brother, Charlie, who suffered some cerebral palsy, moved out to Los Angeles and started using medicinal cannabis that I really opened my eyes to the plant and the wonders it held because growing up, we shared a bathroom and I actually had to keep all of my toiletries in a little shower caddy like you would use in, in college <laughs> or sleepaway camp because he was absolutely just... Um, that you, for lack of a better term, he was a cash cow for the pharmaceutical industry. You know, he was given two pills for, for this ailment and four wow. pills for the side effects of those two pills and eight pills for the side effects of those four. And both of our medicine cabinets and, and the bathroom we shared were, were full of this crap. And kind of spent my entire life, you know, waking up sometimes in the middle of the night to, to give my brother a pain pill for a muscle spasm or, or something of that mm -hmm. nature. So I came to have a really negative opinion of the pharmaceutical industry and of painkillers and things of that nature in general. So when my brother moved out to Los Angeles and I saw the relief he got from cannabis and how much it simplified his life and increased his quality of life, I, I became quite fascinated with the plant. And I actually remember the moment that I, I saw him first use it. I was home from college after my freshman year and um, the gentleman who's now the COO of Grove Bags, who's also one of my best friends, JJ Yang, was home from college at the same time and Charlie was home visiting and he was having horrible muscle spasms. I mean, Bruce, he was hunched over yeah. and his face was oh. red and vascular oh. and he was really suffering. And I, you know, yeah. grown up seeing this my entire life. And my mom said to me, you know, cannabis really helps Charlie. I, I know one of your friends has to smoke pot, Jack, you know, have him come by and help him out. So I said, well, you know, okay, I'm going to call JJ. And <laughs> JJ, you know, kind of came over and was a little skeptical and kind of looked at my mom. Well, oh, Mrs. Grover, this is a little <laughs> odd. And, you know, was a little hesitant and, you know, pulled out his grinder and everything and, and rolled the joint for my brother and, and lit it for him and got it started and, you know, held it in his mouth so he could take a puff. And, and Bruce, I got to tell you, the way that the, the relief came over Charlie in about 45 seconds and the, his shoulders rolled back and his chest opened up and the redness and vasculatory started receding from his face, um, my first reaction, to be honest, was pissed because I, I realized 
how ridiculous the war on drugs was at that point. Yeah. And I realized that a plant and medicine that had the ability to help millions and millions of people was outlawed and unaccessible to him in his home state. And he had years of life that were lesser quality than they otherwise yeah. would have been because he wasn't allowed access to cannabis. Just sad. And nothing had ever really clicked for me like that in my life except for when I remember FaceTime became a thing. And people don't think about how incredible technology is and how incredible the time we live in is because I remember it was probably fall of 2011. I was walking down this train platform in Washington, D.C., visiting a friend of mine at the University of Maryland. And i walking down the platform and I see someone. And my mother's a special education teacher, so I, I know what ASL is. And I see someone signing an ASL on the phone, and I get a little further down the stairs, and I see that there's someone on the screen signing back at them. And I realize, wow, this is the, the first time these people have ever had a, a phone call. And I realize how incredibly powerful FaceTime was and how that this thing that maybe we didn't appreciate or fully understand, how much of an impact on quality of life it, it had for yeah. these two people on the phone. And that's kind of the, the same spark in my brain when I saw the relief that came over Charlie. So immediately then, I become I'm fascinated in the plant and, you know, immediately started where a lot of people do in this space and read The Emperor Knows How Has No Clothes and mm-hmm. I became to really become an advocate and I thought it was an incredible space, but I was daunt I found the task of growing daunting and some of the these other things to be really, yeah. you know, almost intimidating on the, the complexity and scale of them because growing really is an art and a science. So I thought, <clears> you know, this is this is an incredible space. If I can ever do anything to truly add value here, that'd be incredible. So fast forward a couple years to that that visit to my friend's dispensary in Colorado where everything clicked and I I saw my my opportunity in a a way that I could add value to the space and um, the the rest has kind of been uh, heads down and moving forward ever since. Yeah, I'm curious, like how did you kind of dial in in terms of how you were going to enter the space? I, I get the, I mean, the motivation was powerful, right? Like seeing the impact, seeing what cannabis can do, but then also realizing like actually, you know, growing the plant was going to be a little complicated and, and probably involve a, a knowledge base and a skill set that, you know, maybe you didn't have. How did the whole idea of, when did it click for you that the bags, the whole kind of, you know, the, the products around the bags and how people, things were being transported and stored, like, when did that click, and, and how did you go from that kind of realization to actually building out the company? Great question. So, um, probably wouldn't have done it if I had realized at the time how much was involved and how much I just didn't know. <laughs> but I, I started researching. Ignorance was bliss, yeah. It really was. So, I started research, and, you know, it's, it's always fun at the beginning when you're researching and everything, you know, hasn't materialized mm-hmm. yet, and it feels, you know, the whole world lays ahead of you. But I started researching cannabis, and I got intimately familiar with the plant and the way it respirates the physiology of the plant, which was difficult mm-hmm. because even now there's still no standardized information or mutually agreed upon source of truth for this stuff. And I picked up a bunch of um, polymer engineering, plastics engineering, material engineering, product engineering textbooks, and I just plowed through them. It's, it's pretty incredible, the information age we live in and the, the resources available at our fingertips. Yeah. So it took us about six months. And what we did is because we had that ignorance of the young entrepreneurship we decided we would approach cannabis in a way that we would tailor engineer a solution around the physiology of the product and would be a purpose-driven solution. Mm-hmm. So that led us down the, the year-long development process towards Terplock. And Terplock's really what we're known for. And that's what we sell in 40 countries to over 2,500 cultivators. And what Terplock is, it's a tailor-engineered material that's a multi-layer film that regulates a 58 to 62% 
microclimate inside the bag in an anti-static, antimicrobial fashion. Really what that means for our clients and why we've had such traction with Terplock is you're maintaining the full weight of your product, you're inhibiting microbial growth and spore replication, but most importantly, as a result of this controlled, specially engineered climate that's respirating with the plants as it naturally does, we're maintaining better medicine because we're maintaining 35 to 40 percent more terpenes and cannabinoids so we're really delivering allowing growers cultivators dispensaries to deliver to patients the products that they intended to unadulterated by the supply chain or by time or by improper packaging so you're throwing out a lot of words there let's dig into some of these things so when you talk about the respiration of the plant what are we talking about so when we talk about the respiration of the plant we talk about how any sort of living plant material even after you've cut and dried a, a flower it's still living and breathing that's why we take a fresh cut rose and we don't put it in a bag and vacuum seal it we put it in a vase with water because it's still mm-hmm. respirating and living and breathing that's exactly how we should think about the cannabis plant and kind of the the best way that i could explain this technology is by analogy so imagine with me bruce you know you're going to the grocery store and you're buying a bag of pre-cut pre-washed salad you know what i'm talking about in the produce yeah. aisle and that's mm-hmm. a bunch of chopped up lettuces and radishes and carrots and on your counter those vegetables will wilt in a few hours but in those bags they say fresh for a few weeks or more and the reason for that isn't the fact that that bag is flushed with any sort of special gas or has any sort of harsh chemical packets in there or anything it's because the actual structure of that bag is engineered in such a way to operate as a lung and to respirate with those plants as they naturally would so we maintain the vitamins and the nutrients and texture and taste and color of those vegetables that's the same idea of what we do with Terplock. Terplock works with the natural respiration pattern of the plant to maintain about a 2% oxygen level in a 58 to 62% relative humidity, anti-static, antimicrobial environment. And these factors come together in terms of curating the perfect microclimate within the bags, the Terplock bags for cannabis. So we have dramatically extended shelf life and also are maintaining product integrity. Yeah. And how do you do that? You, you mentioned this kind of multi-layer piece, but what what is the without giving anyone any any proprietary secrets but like what's like what are the things you're layering why does the layering work what's the technology that you've developed great question so what we're doing is we're layering different polymers and additives in such a way to create a lung so it's a very tricky process and the reason it took us a year of development is because we have to allow moisture vapor to escape the bag but at the same time trap the terpene micron the the odors and terpenes are very very small though those particulates are about 0.03 microns across which is thinner than the diameter of a human hair. So the layers of the bag operate as a as a filter in a way where they allow that moisture vapor to come into the vessel or come out of it, but it's not allowing the terpene molecules to escape. So we're maintaining that potency and that discretion and that full medicinal entourage effect of that cannabis. Interesting. And so you developed the technology, you know, you did the research, developed technology, like how did you get, talk to me about kind of production, early stage production, going to market, like what were the things that you had to do to really get, you know, get traction in the market? So that's where the, the bliss ended and the ignorance started. <laughs> so that's, that's been a, a, a couple year process in terms of finding the right partners who believed in what we were doing, supported the space, believed in the industry, because we didn't have any of our own equipment to start. We had these material formulations that we had developed and we needed a partner to develop the material for us to actually make it, I should say. And then we needed someone to take these rolls of material, print on it, 
for our different custom projects and actually convert these printed film rolls into bags. So we were able to build a robust supply chain with some really incredible companies that I'm deeply indebted to and really learned that, you know, Turplock is not all due to, to my genius. And in fact, it's, it's due to a, a village of people who believed in this space and wanted to help move this industry forward, who came together to create the supply chain that allowed Turplock to enter the market and take hold. And in terms of building the product, it really took us about a year and a have to catch. Cannabis growers are a fierce group of very independent folks who are mm-hmm. very strong-willed and strong-minded to say the mm-hmm. least. Yeah. So to get them to embrace a new technology or even try a new technology really was a, a process for us. It was a matter of getting out thousands of samples to, to growers and folks that we had looked up to and respected and admired, you know, chasing folks down at shows. I, I remember following, you know, Big Mike from Advanced Nutrients and and mm-hmm. attempt to flag him down to pitch him or Mario from Sherbinsky's and say, hey, guys, you know, t- take a look at this. This is what I've developed. I'd love for you to try this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there was a high degree of skepticism, but eventually we got folks to try it. And luckily for us, our products really worked and made a difference. So it started to snowball from there. But there were countless trade shows where, you know, it was just talking to people. Hey, have you heard of Turplock? I'd like you to try this. Have you heard of Growth Bags? I'd love for you to try this. Hey, tell me about yourself. What are you doing? Do you have any pain points? I think I've got a great product for you. And it was really just doing that again and again and again. And I can't tell you if that would be a successful go-to-market in other industries, but in cannabis, there is a, a natural curiosity that folks in this space yeah. have. And there's a certain zeal that they have and reverence that they have for the product. So when you've got a, a punk kid in your face, for lack of a better term, saying, I developed this great thing, try it, please, try it, try mm-hmm. it. Eventually, folks do. And, you know, word gets out. It's a small, tight-knit industry. So our product really worked, and we were able to get some advocates, I should say, and snowball from there. A few clients yeah. turned into a few dozen clients, which turned into a, a few hundred. And I actually remember the, the first order we sold, we we started off with our pound skew, which is our, our most popular product is our pound pouch. We mm-hmm. sell millions of them every month. It's really become what we're known for in that cultivation packaging. And first one I sold was on the December 27th, 2018. And we kind of have not looked back. Yeah. What were some of the challenges? I mean, as you kind of think through the, the journey that you went, like what were the surprises, things you didn't anticipate that you kind of had to learn as you went? That's a great question, Bruce. I've really learned businesses comes down to relationships and oftentimes a matter of leverage. And being a, a small bootstrap startup didn't have a huge amount of leverage. So it was important to sell folks on my vision and to hustle hard and, and show them that I was serious. This wasn't a a passing project from a guy that embodied every negative social stereotype of cannabis. This was a product put forth by a passionate group of people that genuinely cared about the industry and were trying to add value in a real way. And, you know, there were a lot of no's and there were a lot of conversations that didn't go anywhere, but thankfully there were a few that, that really did. And we got linked up with some incredible people in packaging that, you know, said, you know what, we'll, we'll help you out. I'll run a little material for you. Let's, let's see how you do. We'll give you a shot, Jack. And and thankfully, you know, we've always been fervent about honoring our obligations and doing what we said we would do. And without folks, and I, I'm going to name a couple people by name here, Joe Bradford yeah. at uh, Temkin or... Dave Frecka and NextGen, those folks really believing in us and, you know, telling their teams, hey, you know, I know these are small, tiny, insignificant orders, but 
help this kid out, you know, give this guy a shot. And really, that had never been done before in flexible packaging. Usually you have to go out and be seasoned executive and raise, you know, first raise millions of dollars and build out the equipment and hire teams and vertically integrate yourself. And we were able to have great relationships with some really incredible people that helped us out and helped us get to market in a way that we could afford to do and in a way that was scalable. Uh, yeah. And that, that really, I would say, you know, is there's no no secret to success, no no genius at, at night by candlelight. It was uh, getting people on board and, and selling people on the vision and then rewarding them for their faith in us. Yeah. Anything you do differently? Looking back on, on anything that you'd say, oh, wow, I, w- <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go down that path. I would do something different in, in terms of situations you got caught in. There are certainly little things I do differently, you know, sales meetings I'd approach differently, ways that I would try to, to frame things differently. But to, to be honest, there's nothing major I would change. I, yeah. I think the ignorance of being able to go out there to go to trade shows and drive around and cruise around Oregon and California and, and Michigan and, and Massachusetts and just being able to connect with the community. When, when something clicks in this industry and, and truly adds value, People will refer you and people will say, hey, you got to try this or, you know, this guy is really earnest and does really yeah. good work for me. You know, he, all of my customers have my cell phone number here, e- even still, and they can call me anytime, day or night. And that's that's really how we built the business. So I, I would say, you know, if I, I knew better at the time, you know, it was a lot to get this started. If I knew better at the time, I might have chosen a, a different path. But I think that... Um, that entrepreneurial rush and that zeal and excitement around this industry and everything that we're doing and the entire revolution at large in plant-based medicine gave us the the fuel and the energy to go out there and put a smile on our face every time and pitch the product again and again and again. Yeah, I always say that you have to be a little delusional to be an entrepreneur. (laughs) In in my case, I think my mother would tell you I'm very delusional. Yeah, exactly. Well, good, good. You know, delusional people make things happen that otherwise, you know, are not logical. So, you know, kudos. Tell me a little bit about how, you know, kind of supply chain and how have you, how have you gone to market? I always find, you know, that's an interesting one in cannabis, given kind of how the markets are set up and you've got these kind of local state-based economies and stuff. How have you kind of figured out how to get your product to the people that use it, you know, in terms of distribution, direct order, what has been your model and how has it worked? Great question. So we've always been very consultative in our sales approach. That's why we have sent out and continue to send out so many samples. Hey, you're, you're a grower. You want to try this? Absolutely. Let me send you some bags. So yeah. having a very consultative sales process was absolutely critical. But in terms of our go-to-market, we knew very early on that this was a rapidly moving, evolving space. So we never wanted to build a product for where the market was. We wanted to build a product for where the market was going. Mm-hmm. And where we thought that market was going was standardized, tailor-engineered, USA-made, food-grade packaging. And it really, it, it took a few years to, to click, you know, but it's margins were a huge thing in, in packaging. So when you look at a bag from, from China, that's five cents. And you look at our bag, that's a few cents more. Mm-hmm. It, it raised some eyebrows until you develop a reputation, until the material develops a reputation of being a justified value add. Yeah. So go to market for us. You're looking back on it, should have had a, a much larger budget, should have marketed, should have gotten some brand ambassadors who had clout to get on board in the first place. And we kind of grinned and bared it and bootstrapped through that process. I, I would say one thing, 
to your earlier question that I would do differently is have a better marketing plan, have a better go-to-market yeah. plan, have have a a plan beyond just going around and, and heckling people at, at brute force. Trade yeah. Yes, we brute forced it, and there's probably a much better way to do that. But at the same time, that was incredibly educational and motivating. That that wasn't a draining process. That was an exciting process, Bruce, because there are incredible entrepreneurs in this space, and being able to talk to them, the people, the the passion they have, the zeal that they have, the knowledge they have for this plant is energizing and it is exciting and it does give confidence and energy. And even to this day, my, my favorite thing to do is to talk to prospects and to talk to customers because that's mm-hmm. where I get my energy, my inspiration from. Yeah. Well, and you get to see the, the I mean, those are the people that have the problems that you're trying to solve. So I think there's, there's probably a, a large satisfaction of actually getting to hear about them, developing product, getting them product and actually seeing it being seeing it being resolved as an entrepreneur. And where, like, as, as you've kind of seen this industry play out, what have you noticed uh, in terms of just the general challenges, uh, you know, in terms of how the regulations are set up, legislation, legality, supply chains? I mean, what are the big things that you've noticed about the cannabis industry that you've had to kind of grapple with as you've built the business? One thing we've always had to be cognizant of is the rapidly changing packaging regulations in terms of opacity, child resistance, that's something that we, I feel, got a good head start on because we saw that's where the market was moving. We always took a cue from the mature cannabis states on where the market was going. And very early on, I would say one thing we did intelligently from a strategic manner is we avoided the race to the bottom that a lot of the cannabis packaging companies were in on. And if you went to MJ BizCon in 2019, you saw that there were probably 300 packaging companies there. At least half of those are gone at this point. They were largely little value-add broker-dealers that did not have a good understanding of cannabis, did not have a good understanding of cannabis businesses, did not have reverence for their customers, and did not understand how important they were in the value chain because you can't just substitute in and out any different types of packaging. Packaging is critical in the space, not only from a compliance standpoint and not only from a product integrity standpoint, but also from a branding standpoint, Bruce. I mean, because we're so limited on marketing and advertising in the space, having a beautiful package that's custom-branded that sits on your customer's coffee table or goes with them to the park. So when they're at the park and enjoying one of your pre-rolls, they're reminded of that connection, that patient's reminded of their connection with your brand. And they're not just pulling a pre-roll out of, you know, a, a commodity black plastic tube that's unlabeled or has got a smudge sticker on it. It, it creates mm-hmm. an experience and it helps to establish that relationship for that brand because those pieces of packaging are the billboards for the brand and they are the yeah, mag- exactly. magazine advertisements and they are the television advertisements. Uh, yeah. So we've always viewed ourselves is having a really solemn responsibility to our customers. And I think that that served us well, understanding how important we are in the supply chain. You know, product can't get out if, if we don't get customers their bags on time. Mm-hmm. And as the industry sort of changes and shifts and grows and the market grows, what are some of the trends or things that you're kind of paying attention to or things that you're anticipating that are going to be kind of driving the industry from a, you know, kind of a technology and packaging point of view? Great question. So we are moving into cannabis 2.0 and I, I call us this cannabis 2.0 because we're moving into more of a traditional consumer packaged goods type model in terms of the way this industry is operating. In terms of the, the quality assurance, the testing labs, the state mandates, we're starting to see some parity between states in terms of the packaging laws, the compliance, the regulations for that point of sale packaging. 
But in addition to that, we're seeing, you know, automated weighing machines, automated packaging. We're seeing a lot mm-hmm. of these processes that were done in very inefficient ways or very sloppy ways being streamlined and operating as, you know, a major food company would instead of a cottage industry. And I think that's going to continue to accelerate. You're going to, you know, more and more rarely will you be walking into a facility and seeing a group of 30 people packing pre-rolls with bamboo sticks by hand. That's that's starting to be automated. And not only is that driving more affordable pricing and more consistent quality, that's driving a more consistent consumer experience. And that's something that we've thought has been necessary to cannabis for a long time. And that's one of the things that Terplock delivers is consistent consumer experience by protecting product integrity. And that's how you develop trust for brands. When you go to McDonald's at 8 a.m. in Anchorage, Alaska, and you order a cheeseburger, that's going to taste the same as the McDonald's cheeseburger you get at midnight at the airport in Miami. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That type of consistency is what allows brands to thrive. So that dependability, that consistency, that uniformity is what allows these brands to take shape and why we're noticing the the growth of cannabis from this, this cottage countercultural industry to really becoming a mainstream CPG that mm-hmm. is approachable. Yeah. And, and from a regular regulatory point of view, I mean, what are the things? I mean, I know that there's a lot of regulation around packaging and child resistance and and you know, kind of security and, and things like that. What is there anything that you'd love to see changed in terms of the regulatory environment that you operate in, in terms of how things are set up right now and what would really serve the industry better? National uniformity is really what's needed next for this industry. Major cannabis corporations and even smaller operators having to operate almost as in a totally different market, totally different business from, from state to state has really held back this industry. So federal normalization is something I would like to see happen, not only because it would propel the industry forward in terms of legal sense, but it would provide uniformity to packaging and codified regulations for how product is delivered to consumers. I think that's going to entail everything being in child-resistant resealable packaging, which is packaging mm-hmm. that maintains its child resistance over its life cycle. That's going to become very common. I think opacity laws are going to be put in place for most products. That's a personal prediction. You're going to see a lot of states kind of follow the state of California in terms of being very careful about, you know, what branding are you using? Is is you Are you making this attractive to children? Is it is a too whimsical with cartoon characters yeah. and th- things of that nature. I think we're going to continue moving in that direction at an ever-accelerating pace, particularly as this election comes up and we see most likely a change in administration. I think we'll see that process, you know, accelerate it at light speed. Yeah, good. Jack, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Grove Bags, what's the best way to get that information? People can email me anytime, jack at grovebags.com or follow us on Instagram. We're a 24-7 team, so so we're, we're eager to talk with folks at any time. And again, we've got a consultative sale. So if, if something you heard was interesting to you, give us a call and, and we'll get some bags in your hand so you can see awesome. the difference for yourself. Yeah, awesome. I'll make sure the links are in the show notes so people can get that information. Jackson, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much for having me, Bruce. Hope you have a terrific weekend. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.